0: Ecclesiastes, chapter number three, is where we are this morning. We're going to talk about something that uh, we all tend to have a bit of a love relationship, or love-hate relationship with, and that is time. You all find you have a love-hate relationship with time. Time is one thing that we love on the one hand, and yet it's one thing that we hate. This is the 245th birthday of the United States of America. And uh, some of you were around when those first shots were fired at Lexington and Concord, and you would be the first to say how quickly time has what? Has flown. That's right. We are all the products of time. The clock starts to tick from the moment that we're born. And for the rest of our lives, we make adjustments uh, according to time. That's reflected, of course, in the number of time pieces that we personally own. I own a number of watches, five or six of them. Most of them I've gotten as gifts across the years. And I have clocks all over the place. I've got digital clocks in each of my cars. I have a clock on my cell phone. I have a clock on my uh, Apple Watch. And all throughout my house and my office, I've probably got somewhere between eight and 10 clocks, one in just about every room. And that's the thing about time, isn't it? The thing about time is it tends to not only measure our life, but sometimes it can tend to control our life. Time, on the one hand, is something that's logical. It makes sense. It's a linear kind of thing. But on the other hand, time is a mysterious kind of thing. Time is logical in that it's constant. Sixty minutes is always what? An hour. Twenty-four hours is always always. Uh, 30 days, sometimes 31, is always a, a month, and 365 days is always a year. And this is the thing about time. It's what makes time the great equalizer, because all of us pretty much have the same number of seconds in a minute, the same number of minutes in an hour, the same number of hours in a day. And whether we're still running and gunning at work, or whether we're retired, out working on the lawn all day, we have exactly the same amount of time. But even though time is constant, and even though it's very logical, not all of us experience time exactly the same way. Would you not agree with me that an hour spent in class is not the same as an hour spent in a nice restaurant? An hour spent listening to your pastor preach is not the same as an hour spent walking on the beach at sunset. Can I have an amen this morning? Not too loud, but yes. (laughs) An hour spent in the doctor's office is not the same as an hour spent with your honey out on an evening drive somewhere. There are times when time can seem to drag, and there are times where time can seem to fly by. And it's that mysterious aspect of time. That Solomon contemplates here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. Uh, It's known not only by the people of God, but it's known by most of the people throughout the Western world because those great theologians called the birds turned it into a song back in the early 1960s, which many of you will uh, remember In fact, as it relates to time, Solomon begins here with a summary statement in the very first verse. For everything there is a what? A season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then what follows in the next seven verses are some of the most famous lyrics about time that have ever been written. There are 28 statements in 14 couplets 14 of them are worded in the negative, 14 of them are worded in the positive, and all of them, every single one of them involve the use of the word what? Time, that's right. Now let's take a look with all of that as a backdrop at what Solomon says, again beginning in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. and a time to refrain from embracing. There is a time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. There is a time to tear, and a time to sow. There is a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time For peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for this is God's gift to man. This is the Word of God, and let all God's people say amen Amen and amen. A couple of broad statements I'm simply going to make in the few minutes that we have this morning about this very familiar passage the first of which is that it reminds us that God is sovereign and that God is the Lord over time you know time is something that guides our lives but time really doesn't mean a whole lot to God I don't think he's an eternal being we measure our lives by time but God certainly does not the last part of that passage is just as important, if not more, than the poetic part, because Solomon reminds us that time is a gift from God and that God's the one who's actually Lord over time. He uses a phrase here, under heaven, in verse one. There is a time for every season under heaven. And that, of course, implies what? That there is a heaven. And if there is a heaven, what else is implied? That there is a God in heaven. That's right. A time for every matter, every season under heaven. And so heaven is and God is according to Solomon. In fact, Solomon's going to mention the name of God there later on in this very passage in verses 10 and 11. He'll mention the name of God twice. Twice which is his way of reminding himself and those who are reading what he's writing that everything happens in a world dominated by time under the authority and control of a God who's on his throne, a God who is the Lord of time. Nothing happens in this life apart from the knowledge of God. Amen. Nothing happens in this life apart from the controlling hand of a sovereign God. Now, that doesn't mean that everything about life is predetermined, And that nothing that you choose actually matters in terms of what happens in your life. No, far from it. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word that's translated time, you know, in the Greek, there's two words for time. There's like three words for love. All of us have been in these dialogical discussions about the different words in Greek for love. There are two primary words in the Greek New Testament for time. The first is chronos, and that's the logical sense of time. That's linear time. We get our word chronology from it, or chronograph, that which measures linear time. But that's not the word that's used here in the Greek translation of the book of Ecclesiastes. The word's not chronos, the word is kairos, which is a much more more broad understanding of time. You might call it seasonal time or uh, opportune time, and that's what Solomon is talking about. In everything under heaven, there is a right season. There is a favorable time for everything that happens. We might say, and we often do say, that for the child of God, the Lord is always working for our good, and that God always does everything at just the right what? At just the right time. Not necessarily at just the right second, but at just the right opportunity, Just the right window of time. And our challenge is to always, in this season of time that we're in, always keep our focus on the kingdom. Always keep our focus on eternity. And to trust in the Lord, no matter the time, no matter the season, and no matter the circumstance that we're in at any given point in time. And the circumstances, as all of us who've lived for a while know, The circumstances of our lives will be varied. They'll be many. They'll be diverse. And that leads me to a second observation from this passage, namely that the world is broken. Solomon reminds us that God is on his throne and that God is sovereign, that he's the Lord over time. But then most of what he spends in these first several verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us that the world, the kingdom of this world that we're now living in is broken. And our perspective as we live under heaven, which we all are right now, our perspective needs to be balanced and it needs to be biblical. Let me let you in on a little secret. Not every season of your life is going to be a happy season of life. Some will be happy seasons. You'll have some real mountaintop seasons in your life, but not every season will be a mountaintop season. There'll be times where where you're going to walk in the valley of the shadow of death, as the psalmist said in the most familiar psalm ever written. And so you need to learn to live under the sovereign hand of God with the practical reality that as you do, this world that we live in is not heaven. It's a broken place, and we all know it. So our perspective needs to be a balanced perspective about how we view the varying situations of our life to make sure that we're always living biblically. That's what Solomon's trying to do here. He's an old guy. He's lived for a long time. He's in a position of leadership where he's been able to see times of peace and times of war and ups and downs and great family experiences and rotten family experiences. And what he does here is reflect a very balanced realism about life. He's not really being pessimistic and he's really not being totally optimistic. What he is is being absolutely realistic about how we're to view life. And he comes to a conclusion. Here's the conclusion, life's not all bad, which is a great thing to be reminded of as we read the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is not all bad, but life does include all kinds of experiences, some of which are bad and really hard to deal with. And we have to keep those in a sense of proper balance Because sometimes they'll be good and they'll be pleasant. Other times they'll be negative experiences that aren't altogether so much fun. Would you not agree with me that there are times in your life where the sun shines brightly and there are other times where it seems to rain all day? And here's the thing. That's true not only for those in the world. That's true for those in the kingdom of God. The Bible says it rains on the what? On the just and on the unjust. But again, no matter what happens in the time God gives us, the thing we have to remember is that God's always on His throne. Amen. He's always superintending over everything that happens to us in life. That's obvious in the first statement here where Solomon says, there is a time to be born and a time to die. No baby ever chooses the time of their conception. You didn't, I didn't, nobody else ever does. We don't, Choose to be conceived, we don't choose to be born, we don't choose where we're born. Those are all products of the sovereign grace of God. And on the other end of that spectrum, no person can predict the hour of his death. The date of your birth and the date of your death are not selected by you, they are, as the Bible says, appointed by the Lord. The Bible says that in Hebrews 9 For it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes what? Judgment. And that's why Solomon's conclusion is important. There is an appointed time that you and I are going to meet the Lord. God knows when it is. He knows the chronos as well as the kairos, but you don't. And now we understand why that being the case is so important to live your life on purpose to know why you're here, where you came from, what's going to happen when you die, and you can know the answers to all of those questions by having a right relationship with the Lord. So Solomon says, knowing that, knowing that you're out of control with respect to the moment of your birth and the moment of your death, you ought to enjoy life. You ought to live life to the fullest. Play by God's rules. Somebody say amen. You don't make it up as you go along. You know the book. You know the word. You live according to biblical parameters, but according what's? You're within the biblical parameters. Live it up, enjoy life, have fun, do those things that you love to do. Because I'm firmly convinced, I'm just one of these guys that has a very strong view of the sovereignty of God, and I believe that if you and I are living in Christ and we're living for Christ, our lives are indestructible until God says it's time to stand forever in His presence. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. The Bible says also there's a time to plant and a time to uproot, and God's involved in all of that. There's a time to go to college, and there's a time to start work. There's a time to change jobs. There's a time to move on. I mean, there's a time to plant, and there's a time to uproot. That was true for God. Who planted the Garden of Eden? God did. Who moved the first people out of the Garden of Eden when they decided to make up the rules according to themselves? God did. There are times where God gave the rain, times where God withheld the rain so that nothing would grow. In the same way, Solomon says, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. That was also true for God. God led his people to build a temple for the glory of his great name. But it was that same God who opened up the doors to the adversary to come in and tear the thing to the ground and burn it to ashes. The same God was Lord over both. Buildings serve their purpose for a time, but then they become worn out and they become dilapidated or they become destroyed. And the time comes to tear them down, build new ones in their place, move on to another opportunity. There's a time To break down, there's a time to build up. The Bible says here there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Yep, the Bible says it. Right there it is. Well, I thought the Bible says thou shalt not kill. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says thou shalt not murder. There is a time to kill. There's a time for self-defense. There's a time for capital justice. And it says it here, though it is regrettable, there is a time for what? There's a time for war. That's right. There's a time to stand for what's right. Even though others, perhaps even the majority, will oppose what you and I stand for in life. There is a time for war. At Trenton, at Yorktown, at Lexington and Concord, it was a time for war. At Gettysburg, at Antietam, at Shiloh, there was a time to kill. At Flanders and at the Somme, at at at, at Midway and at Iwo Jima uh, and at the Battle of the Bulge, it was time to kill. There the world is broken. The world is fissured. And ever since the fall of man, the world has been in a perpetual time of war, a perpetual time of conflict, constant hostility, constant instability in our own country. We're divided as we've ever been in my adult lifetime, maybe at any time since the civil war and i'm just saying this morning governments are not going to be able to heal the division politicians are not going to be able to heal the division social programs are not going to be able to heal the division there are right governments there are right leaders there are right programs and we need to support those who are right but when it comes to healing division it's going to take a whole lot more than personalities to get that done Only Jesus can do it, and that's why we shouldn't be discouraged, because the last time I checked, the king is coming. So don't let that discourage you, because even though there's a time for war and a time to kill, thank God there is a time to heal. Jesus Christ, my Bible tells me, is the prince of peace, and he's coming to bring peace. He's brought peace through the gospel, peace between God and Man, but a time is coming where there'll be peace on the earth even, and we can envision it. The Bible teaches us about it. And we can know that the time of peace is coming because we can know that Jesus is coming. And when He does, the Bible says, the kingdoms of this world, every single one of them, will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ as He puts all enemies under His feet. And He shall reign, and we together with Him, those of us who know Him, forever and ever and ever. A better day is coming. But until then... We're living in a world that's divided, ethnically divided, racially divided, culturally divided. We are a world at war. And as people of the gospel, we have a responsibility, don't we, to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For ultimately, God will eventually bless them. We have a responsibility to do whatever leads to peace and mutual Edification, both inside the body of Christ and in our community and our world as well. And that always means, of course, keep preaching Jesus. Amen. We have to keep telling the gospel story. Along those same lines, Solomon reminds us there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to be silent, a time to keep the lips closed, and a time to open up your mouth and speak the truth. And God help us to know the difference between the two, particularly in an age of social media. Somebody say amen. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to keep silence. You know, Solomon has a lot to say, particularly in the book of Proverbs about learning to hold your tongue. Because is it not true the more we talk, the more likely we are to sin? Maybe that's the reason the Bible talks about how the... Tongue is a great fire, causes conflagration, because the more you talk, the more likely you are to commit sin with your words. And so the Bible teaches us, understanding the power of words, that words contain the power of life and they contain the power of death. They have the power to encourage, they have the power to discourage, they have the power to build up, they have the power to uh, tear down. And that's why the fewer words we use, the better off we usually are. Ironically, Solomon's going to say that very thing over a couple of chapters later in Ecclesiastes 5. Be not rash with your mouth. Let your words be what? Let your words be few. But having said that, there is a time to speak. There's a time to speak truth to power. I remember several years ago, in fact, I'll never forget it, when Mother Teresa was Invited to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington. She took to the podium. And she was so diminutive in her stature. You could barely see her head above the pulpit. The podium, rather. And as she took to the podium there. I mean, the most powerful people in the most powerful city of the world. All gathered together in that hotel ballroom. With the President of the United States, literally, seated right beside her. She said these words. The greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. For if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? And then she looked directly at the president who was at her right, and she said these words, I want the child. Give me the child. Boy, I'm telling you, that takes moxie to speak that kind of truth to that kind of power. Was she right in doing it? Absolutely. And we salute her as a courageous, strong woman of God because of it. And the Bible teaches that. There's a time to be silent, but there's also a time to speak. And for us, it's always time to talk about the gospel. It's always time to speak truth to those who are lost and far from God. It's always the right time to have those gospel conversations that we often talk about because we have the message of freedom to free people, people who think they're free, who are living in the worst form of bondage imaginable. They need to be told that, that there is a better way. They need to be told that the gospel involves liberation and it comes by knowing a king who reigns in a kingdom, not from the knowledge of a president or a nation, all throughout the land and all around the world, God's people are called to do that very thing, that which our forefathers have been called to do. Let freedom ring and well we should do it. But that's what we're called to do in the kingdom of Christ. We couch it oftentimes in words of telling the good news. There's an old Christian hymn that says that, tell the good news. Tell the good news that Christ has come. Tell the good news. Tell the good news. Tell the good news to everyone. And what is the good news? The words that Jesus said represent the good news. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more what? More abundantly. Only in the kingdom of Christ can you find eternal and abundant life that cannot be compared to any other kind of life imaginable anywhere on the planet there is a time to speak there is a time to keep silence then there's a time to love and a time to hate that language seems kind of strange doesn't it because we don't often equate God with the word hate but the fact is there are lots of things God hates I mean we're never to hate people No matter how hateful, hateful people, we might love to hate. And some people are just hard to love. Can I have an amen this morning? Some people are hard to love, but God's called us to love everybody. So we're never to hate people. There's not a person on the planet God does not love. And we're called to mirror the love of our Lord in the world in which we live. But the fact is there are lots of things that God hates. We may not hate people, but we can hate attitudes. And we can hate certain actions. Here's the thing. We ought to hate what God hates. Amen. If God hates it, then we have license to hate it, and we should hate it. There are some things, can I just, are y'all still with me say amen? There are some things that if you don't hate them, you're lacking in moral fiber. You're lacking in moral backbone. There are some things that if you don't hate, You're lacking in moral and biblical integrity. And the way that you know how to do that properly is to know the book. Because if God hates it, we're to stand against it just as he does. And what kinds of things does God hate? I don't have time. Idolatry. God hates. How about pride? Does God hate pride? You bet. How about deceit? lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And we all battle with that. This is the area we tend to default to darkness more than anything else. Deceit, divisiveness. Does God hate divisiveness? Does God hate gossip? Yep, he does. Slander, abuse. Could go on all morning. If God hates it, we're to hate it, and those are some of the things that God hates. Hate what God hates, love everything else, because that's what Jesus did. That's the model of Christ. In fact, I think we can see a lot of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout this passage. Even though Solomon's not writing about Jesus, Solomon's writing about Jesus. And you can see him here, because our Lord was a Savior who always knew what time it was. And he always knew the times and the seasons in which he lived. The Bible teaches that there was a time for the Savior to be born. Isn't that right? But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law. There was a time for Jesus to be born. Does the Bible teach there was a time for Jesus to die? Absolutely it does. It was an appointed time. All throughout the ministry of Jesus is recorded by the gospel of John. Uh, Jesus would often say, my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Over and over and over again until John gets to the point where Jesus actually says, my time has come. My hour has come. It's time for the Father to fulfill my mission as it would take shape in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at just the right what? Time. Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus knew when it was time to heal. Did Jesus ever heal people all throughout his ministry, this incredible ministry of miraculous healing up and down the land of Israel over a course of three years? Did Jesus... Know there was a time to tear down. Twice in his ministry, he went with a bull whip, kicking over tables, kung fu fighting in the courts of the temple of God because there was sin in the land, sin in the house. And Jesus knew there was a time to tear down. At the same time, Jesus knew there was a time to mourn. Our Lord wept, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus, what? And he wept out of a heart of grief. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. As he surveyed the holy city of Jerusalem, Jesus cried tears of grief. The Bible says our Lord was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who often wept. In his ministry. But at the same time, our Lord knew that there was also a time to laugh. There was a time to rejoice, as he often did. He did so with his disciples back from their first preaching mission. He sent them out to preach the gospel. And the Bible says when they came back, sharing all the wonderful stories of what the Lord had done, Christ was with them in their midst, and they rejoiced together at the goodness of God that always comes through the faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew there was a time to speak, and he knew there was a time to keep silent. In fact, I love Jesus as a preacher because Jesus talked a lot as a preacher, which proves my point. There is virtue in long-winded preaching (laughs) because it would take me longer than 35, 40 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount to you this morning. Jesus knew there was a time to preach. Count the red letters in your red letter edition. He's talking constantly in his ministry because there's no such thing as the gospel apart from words. Well, I love to hear a good sermon, but I'd rather see one any day. What a ridiculous remark. No, sermons have to be preached. Our gospel is a gospel that's centered on words and the good news has to be told. We are not here to play a game of spiritual charades with people living out virtuous life before them in hopes that they get it by our good example. You ought to live a good example. But even more to the point, you ought to tell people why you're trying to live a good example. Because apart from words, they'll never know the source of salvation. They'll never understand. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing By the word of Christ. Jesus knew there was a time to talk. He knew there was a time to keep silent. At the most critical hour of his life and ministry, the Bible says, Jesus, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, kept silent. He opened up not his mouth. And he let God be his judge. And the judge of those who were oppressing him. Jesus knew there was a time to speak, a time to keep silent. He knew there was a time to love. And for him, that was like all the time. That was his mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. A doctor has come to give ministry of mercy, not to those who are well, but to those who are what? Sick, Jesus says. And so Jesus lived life demonstrating love to the outcast and to the destitute, to the prostitute, to everybody that society had rejected. We've got a lot to learn from Jesus right here. Our Lord showed mercy and compassion to people that the the majority of people wouldn't speak to, wouldn't acknowledge on the street corner, wouldn't reach out to, wouldn't help, wouldn't touch. Jesus knew there was a time to love, and for him that was all the time, but he also knew there was a time to hate. And he was quick to direct his ire again, not to people, but toward the pride and to the arrogance and the self-righteousness of those who were claiming to speak on behalf of God. Oh, Jesus loved those men, no question about it. But he hated the evil that had captivated their hearts. He hated the corruption that tainted them. He hated the spirit of waywardness that was leading that nation further and further and further away from God the entire time claiming to be in the name of God. So make no mistake, man, Jesus is all over this passage of Scripture. You see it in His life. You see it in His ministry. You see it in His death. Our Lord was fully aware of the time, and you and I need to be fully aware of it too. There was a time for you to be born, and there will be a time for you to die. And my question to everybody within the sound of my voice this morning is, are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready for that great time? You may look at me this morning, and you might say, Pastor, you've got so much time left to live. How do you know that? How do you know you've got decades left? You don't know that. I don't care whether you're 15 or 85 this morning. None of us knows when it comes time to die. I say it at funerals all the time. Jim Elliott wrote it in his journal. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. And there's coming that time. And the question is, as we live it up in a land of freedom, are we ready for that which is most eternal? We live in between the comings of Christ. Bible calls it the last days and in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ we're to be citizens of two kingdoms at the same time the kingdom of this world of a nation but most importantly God created you to be a kingdom or to be a citizen of his divine and eternal kingdom and in between this time of the first and second coming of Christ the Bible makes it very clear that when it comes to the times we're to redeem them, to use them for the glory of God. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians five sixteen. Make the best use of time. Redeem the time because the days are what? Evil. Make good choices. Know the word. Most importantly, know the one who is the truth, who died to set you free. God, help us to do that, that our lives might be blessed, that our nation might flourish but most importantly that our God and King might be glorified by how wise and judicious and intentional we use the precious gift of time that he's given us more than anything else may we live in the times looking speaking and acting like King Jesus whose name we long To glorify. This is God's word, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.